This is Exchanges at Goldman Sachs, where we discuss developments currently shaping markets, industries, and the global economy. I'm Jake Seward, Global Head of Corporate Communications here at the firm. Today, we're closing out November by talking about the record month of inflows into equity markets. We're joined by Scott Rubner of our Global Markets Division. Scott sends frequent notes to institutional investor clients, giving his analysis on markets, and he's here to share his thoughts with us today. Scott, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me back, Jake. All right. Stocks were on a tear throughout November and inflows into global equities have been setting some records. Characterize what you've seen in terms of inflows into the equity space during the month of November. So global equities, that's MSCI all country world, is on track for its best monthly gain since 1975, up 13.4%. And the NASDAQ recorded its 45th record close of 2020. And the Dow is trading at 30,000 for the best monthly gain since January 1987. And even small caps logged their best monthly gain on record. For the S&P 500, that's 135 stocks are up 20% or more in the month of November alone. So a tear is an understatement. Global equity market cap is now worth $99 trillion, which is equal to 112% of global GDP. As for flows, they have aggressively been redeployed back into the equity market after the election and positive vaccine developments. Global equities have logged $106 billion worth of inflows in just the past three weeks. This is the largest three-week period of inflows on record. This is even more impressive given the Thanksgiving holidays. So for context, Friday was a half day in the U.S. and U.S. ETFs logged another $9 worth of inflows. So 85% of the inflows over the past three weeks have gone into passive funds, while just 15% of the inflows went into active funds. This is important because these passive flows tend to favor large caps and long momentum strategies. One of my predictions for 2021 is that active funds will have a big comeback as investors focus on single name alpha rather than just beta allocations. So the rotation back into equities comes as a result of defensive positioning in 2020. And during March, investors added $1 trillion into money market funds, which are returning a low real yield. And now investors are looking to redeploy this capital and some have fear of missing out behavior. So you mentioned the elections and vaccines. What's been driving the positive sentiment? Is it more fundamentals or technicals? So sentiment is euphoric in the markets right now with investors looking forward to AD. That's after distribution. Just keep in mind who owns the equity market here. So 74% of the U.S. stock market is owned by people over the age of 55. They are traditionally yield-seeking investors. When they move portfolios, it's usually a big deal. I pulled up two of my key indicators this morning to measure this demographic. Taking a look at the AAII sentiment survey, this is the first time the level of optimism is above 40% for three consecutive weeks in nearly three years. Similarly, the CNN Fear and Greed Index just logged a reading of 92. This is the highest level since a reading of 97 in January and up from a reading of two in March. I think that the rally in November was more technical driven than fundamental. Here's why. We looked back at the last four election cycles, and this cycle seems to be no different. 
September and October see substantial outflows heading into the election, as we have seen this year. This is typically a reduction of 2.5% of assets under management, and that's a big number. And after the election is over, 100% of those outflows are recovered in just the next two months. I think this was more of the case of investors buying downside protection in options, running less gross portfolio exposure into the election, and frankly, looking to buy dips that just never came. So in one of the notes that you wrote to clients this week, you said the November technical flow dynamic is the single largest green imbalance you've seen since April. Explain exactly what you mean by that. I track a lot of different things in my flow of funds framework. The single most important driver of prices were the unemotional and mechanical releveraging from the systematic strategies given the decline in volatility and move higher in price trends. To start November, systematic strategies were running $240 billion worth of long exposure compared to a max long of $530 billion worth of exposure in February. So plenty of scope to add. During the middle of November, we forecasted approximately $12 billion worth of systematic buying per day with the VIX trading at the lowest level since August. But this story with CTA has changed here. Their buying should be done and out of the picture. Even in an up market, we expect CTAs to turn sellers over the next week, and there's a sharp asymmetry to their flows going forward. Within the systematic crowd, risk parity and vol control products can also matter. So the S&P 500 six-month realized volatility has retraced a good amount, but it's still above its multi-year average. The January 8th expiry S&P 500 options are pricing a 2.8% one-day move, which is 150 bips above the baseline to account for the Georgia runoff on January 5th. For the green imbalance to return, volatility would have to come in materially from here, and that's likely after January 8th expiry. So, Scott, you led your first that was around the MSCI, the global markets. How are the U.S. equity markets faring compared to the global market? As of now, investors continue to stay at home rather than allocate to the rest of the world. I think step one is moving back into the equity market, and that's out of cash, out of bonds, and out of gold. And we're seeing just that. So for context, last week, gold funds saw their largest weekly outflow on record. And then step two, after investors get comfortable owning equities again, then rotating to overseas markets. I took a look at global equity mutual fund positioning. This is super interesting. The U.S. country weighting among global equity funds was 51%, and it's the largest country allocation to the U.S. on record. On the flip side, Europe was just 26%, Japan 8%, and EM 7%, all logging their lowest country allocations on record. So, Jake, for now, it's been a U.S. story. So you mentioned EM. There have been some inflows into emerging markets. Explain what you're seeing in that space. Investors added $11 billion into emerging market equities and bonds last week. This was the largest weekly inflow into emerging markets on record. So emerging markets have seen the most extreme outflows of 2020. And while most asset classes have recovered at least a portion of their losses this year, emerging markets have not. Investors like a weaker dollar themed trades 
prospect for easing trade tensions and a recovery in global growth, EM fits this sweet spot. Let's call it end of year top idea previews that are set to hit the inbox. So for context, the dollar is trading at the lowest level since April 2018. Our EM strategy team forecasts $116 billion worth of equity demand just to close the flow gap. And that's accelerated particularly in EMX China since COVID began. In addition, global mutual funds are running their largest underweight in emerging markets since 2012, currently underweight 500 BIPs. So emerging markets are my top trade idea for 2021. And I think investors start to allocate back into EM right away in January after these boardroom asset allocation meetings take place. We have a basket which tracks emerging market banks, which has gotten some client interest. You mentioned outflows from cash and gold back into equities. How about bond markets? Have we seen strong inflows there or investors moving more into risk assets with more clarity around the election and the developments around the vaccine? That's super interesting, Jake. So global bond funds have seen consistent inflows in 32 out of the past 33 weeks for $480 billion worth of inflows. And investment-grade credit has been the post-COVID flow beneficiary. However, bond flows have started to fade substantially. And get this, a record $18 trillion worth of global bonds now trade with negative yields. That is 28% of all global bonds are trading with negative yields. So since 2010, a U.S. 60-40 portfolio rebalanced monthly is up 280%, and multi-asset AUM is now over $4 trillion, up huge. We have been talking to investors about allocating to more of a 65-35 portfolio in 2021, given the potential for a move higher in bond yields following a stimulus package. And for every 1% increase in equity allocation, this would be $40 billion worth of equity demand from multi-asset investors. And let's take a pension fund, for example. We estimate that S&P 500 defined benefit plans are 81% funded, which ranks in the 50th percentile on a one-year forward basis. We forecast the 2021 estimated return on asset assumption to be around 7%. So structurally, the great rotation out of fixed income into equities, given TINA or the lack of alternatives, is something that we are keeping an eye on. So streetwide forecasts we're calling for a substantial rebalancing out of stocks into bonds today, given the monthly performance of stocks over bonds in November. But we haven't seen any evidence of this on the desk and equity allocations continue to increase given the search for yield. All right. So we'll keep an eye on that 60-40 and whether it's gone for good. What do you hear from clients in terms of sentiment and positioning going into December and year end? Since 1985, December has the highest positive hit rate of the year at 76% with a median monthly return of 125 bips, so the so-called Santa Claus rally. With both current sentiment and positioning running elevated into year-end, I expect more moderate moves this December given the long year and potential vacation schedule over the last few weeks. We do expect to be busy up until December option expiration, which has 2.5 trillion of notional set to expire. 
and all eyes are on the funding trade for the S&P 500 rebalance on December 21st. In addition, equity issuance continues to accelerate into December. So today we launched five deals this morning for context. So there may be some room to make room for new listings. In addition, the percentage of NYSE names trading above their 200-day moving average has not been this high since 2009. So we expect some of these overbought levels to burn off before moving back higher. I'm actually spending most of my time with clients talking about the flow dynamics in January, which could see a large rotation into stocks, the January effect, with equity inflows from 401ks and 529 plans. So just a reminder, January portfolio rebalancing sees the largest monthly inflows of the year. That's approximately 25 basis points of AUM, which gets redeployed into the market each January. Just by our math, that's about $35 billion worth of inflows into the market. So given the defensive nature of positioning of 2020, the GS wedge, we could see some substantial inflows early next year. All right. So you study this stuff very closely. Looking back on 2020, we're not done yet, but looking back on, on the year so far, what's the biggest structural change in the market that you think might be here to stay? I've been tracking cross-asset flow of funds for the past 16 years, and the return of the online message board retail trader is the most important change to market structure dynamics. So there are currently 49 million accounts now open for online brokerage. That's a jump of 13 million new accounts in 2020. Daily average revenue trades or darts, which is the common metric used to measure retail activity, hit a record of 10 million trades per day earlier this year. So during elevated periods of volatility in Q1, we think retail activity made up 25% of total market volumes. That's up from 10% in 2019. And weekly call options from retail have significantly impacted dealer short gamma positions. So get this. We have a basket of retail trading favorites. It's the single stock positions which show up most often online and on Twitter. This basket is up 142% since March, and it's up 80% year to date, while our hedge fund VIP basket is up 37% and our mutual fund overweight basket is up 15% year to date. So retail has had the hottest hand, and I don't expect them to slow down trading in 2021. So free commissions, fractional share investing, lack of sports betting, online message boards, Davy, the global day trader, are just some of the reasons cited for the return of the work from home trader. I think something more structural is at play here. Here's a cool stat. Households have a 41% allocation to equities, according to the Federal Reserve Board. This is just shy of 47% record during the tech bubble. A one percentage point increase in allocation would be about $1 trillion worth of demand or 3% of the S&P 500. So bottom line, while December is a tougher call to make, we think that the markets trend lower heading into December year end before a significant rotation back into the stock market in January. All right, Scott, lots of stats there. Very interesting. Thanks for joining us again today. Thanks for having me, Jake. That concludes this episode of Exchanges at Goldman Sachs. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed the show, we hope you subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or a comment. And please tune in later this week for our weekly markets update, where leaders around the firm give a quick take on what they are watching in markets.
This podcast was recorded on Monday, November 30th in the year 2020. Thanks again for listening. All price references and market forecasts correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or a recommendation from any Goldman Sachs entity to the listener. Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Goldman Sachs, and Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Goldman Sachs to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any Goldman Sachs entity.